welcome back to From the Back City Football Podcast. We are back with another action-packed weekend. Man City have lost for the second game in the row in the league. Spurs might be winning the league or Arsenal, depending on where your affiliation is in North London. Liverpool and Brighton have a thriller. So do West Ham and Newcastle. Some other shit games. You know how it goes. I'm joined, as always, by Jack. Jack, how are you today? Hello. I'm good, thank you, mate. I'm good. Um, yeah. Interesting weekend of football, bit mixed, I'd say, from a Liverpool perspective. But what you really want when you don't have the best weekend is other teams to drop points, and thankfully a few did. So it wasn't too bad overall. No, certainly at the top. In terms it's of very the top interesting. Sticks, yeah, it was a good one for gaining points at the top for sure. Um, before we jump into that, I have a bone to pick. A little birdie told me that you sold my sofa for fifty pounds. <laughs> that is that is technically true, but it'd been in my garage for so long that it was my sofa at that point. And I just don't know. It's what like I like to call so what rights on my on my sofa, which I don't know how I feel. And then Do you know what it was, right? Profit. Do you know what it was, right? Had you not covertly put the sofa in my garage under cover of darkness, then maybe I would have been more open. But to just wake up and find a sofa in there one day with all your stuff, I thought, there's nothing mine. about I asked you. You asked me after it was in there. I don't know about that. We're going to have to get the receipts out. But all I'm saying is, no one told me you'd sold the sofa for money, right? Oh, so yes. You, you covertly oh, yes. sold the sofa. And if there are more of your things in there, they are going on Gumtree as well. It's outrageous. I'm going to go in there and steal some of your shit. I can't have this. I'm claiming £50 worth of garage <laughs> item. Good luck. Good luck. That is that is the fee for putting stuff in my garage. I hope you've learned a harsh lesson. Right. People, tell me, am I in the right or am I in the wrong? Should I be asking for £50 reimbursement from Jack for his shady dodgy deals? For eight months rent. On putting stuff in the garage, mate. It's a great. like a tenth of your of your garage. It was stacked really well as well. I remember. No, mate. There's been a redevelopment. I'll show you the new garage. It's empty. You'll no, love it's it. Beef. It's beef. It's beef. <laughs> Big I, beef. I accept. So on to actual football. Arsenal won. Man City nil. We fucking did it. Eight years in the making. Well played. 12 losses on the trot in the league against City. And you know what? I spoke to a couple of Arsenal fans ahead of this game and there wasn't a lot of confidence. Confidence levels were very low when it came to this game against City. Now, Mm. understandable. Didn't have Saka. But the caveat here, and something that really should be pointed out before we go into it, no Rodri, no De Bruyne. And De Bruyne is usually the pants puller when we play against City, always just absolutely doing us in. And it's an interesting one because you'd arguably we played better last year when we lost 3-1 at home to City mm. than we did in this game. And it was a kind of a very mature performance from, from Arsenal in the sense that they managed the game really well for the whole 95 minutes. Um, I think they had four shots man City, one on top, no, in fact, I think it was four shots and one on target, their lowest in God knows how long. And Harlem really good. Sniff, got managed very well by Saliba and Gabriel, who had, I think, maybe one of some of their best games in an Arsenal shirt. It was a very kind of jittery atmosphere at the Emirates because we always get humbled by them. So it really felt like a big mental block got released when 
when that final whistle went. And you can see how much it meant to all the Arsenal players, the fans, and of course Arteta getting one over on the master for the first time. It does feel like a seismic one, but then that is hyperbole, to be honest with you. And we made this mm-hmm. mistake last season. It's too early to say that this has any real impact. But the title race, as of right now of recording, is open. It's open. It's so open. And it's looking like it's going to be an exciting year. Yeah, but then it is also the 9th of October. So it's very hard to make any definitive judgments. And my default position is that Man City are going to steamroll the league still. And we're all just not even going to remember how we felt. This small ray of optimism. We had this last autumn, didn't we? I'm pretty sure. Exactly. Yeah. And Arsenal won like, what, 14 out of 15 to start the season or something ridiculous? Like you were unstoppable. And they still reeled you in, so I wouldn't get too excited, but you are right. It's a mental blocker achieved. A win over City at home, not with like that much convincing play. It was about it was a win of steel, you know. Declan Rice was basically the embodiment of just chopping people and just being solid. It's, it's very Mourinho esque actually. A nice one nil against your rivals where you give them very little and you get a bit of fortune and you just go, Yeah, that's what we deserve. See you I later. Think we deserved it. I felt like going into the 70th minute, someone was going to edge it. And whoever scored the goal was going to win the game, basically, because it was just on a knife's edge the whole time, really. Um, mm-hmm. City had a lot of domination without really any penetration. And again, for a defensive performance, really, it was one of the better ones I've seen for Arsenal in God knows how long. Really, really impressed with all the back four. Um, you felt like Ben White might lose concentration at some point. You certainly felt like Zinchenko might... Drop a clanger, as he usually does in these big games. David Rea was absolutely bricking it. We should probably mention that in the first half. Yeah. Well, how do you feel about that? Because that that um, that playing out for the back moment where he just smacked the ball into Alvarez and almost scored an own goal. Mm, that was City the press, sign of someone a bit overawed by the uh, occasion. Yes. Yeah, a little bit under pressure. Yeah. Uh, to be honest with you, he was awful in the first half. But we stuck to the plan. That's what I liked about it is that we didn't we, we continued to try and play out from the back, and I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. So we didn't we didn't differentiate from the game, but yeah, hearts were in mouths when he just inexplicably kicked it into Julian Alvarez. I thought it was a goal. I'll be honest. I <laughs> Me too. It was I was like, oh my god, I can't believe this just happened. But it wasn't. It wasn't a goal. Um, and he was much better in the second half. In fact, the whole Arsenal team were better in the second half. Um, so whatever Arteta said to them must have really run through of them. Uh, and people can say, you know, Rodri didn't play. And we should point out that in the free game ban, they've lost all three games, which you wouldn't put City as a as a one-man team, but it's hard to argue. Interesting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's very interesting how he's become their most important player, more than De Bruyne, more than anyone. You saw it, but, right? You could imagine that yeah. the they would have had way more control on midfield if he'd been in the game. Obviously, he's that kind of player. It's like if we didn't have Declan Rice... Mm-hmm. you lose that control. And that's what happened against Tottenham, for example, in the 2-2 at the Emirates, is that we didn't have midfield control. So therefore, the whole game plan kind of went out the window. And I think it's the same for City. It's really hard to emulate the kind of role that Rodri has. So very fortunate, but I'm glad we took advantage of it. Very, very Amen. glad. Amen. Usually they can ride it out and get away with it. It doesn't really make an impact. So it's nice to see that they're a bit human. And sometimes they just have good players who, when they're out, they're just a bit, they're just a bit average. They can't mm. always mask over all the cracks. Usually they find a way with this weird, like, two strikers on the pitch at all times. Basically, 4 2 4 formation. I don't think it was. What think do you think great. about the kind of feedback that they're ruining football? Four defenders, 
McCam in a CDM role, two strikers, mm. no actual wingers. Um, it was a very narrow game, wasn't it? Both, both. It was very narrow, but I think like playing four centre backs or basically five centre backs, like it does mean that you don't get many shots. You don't have a lot of creativity, and the fact that you know Haaland had next year zero point zero zero, the fact that they only had one shot on target, that is the that is the reality. I mean, even in the games where they've they've won recently, it's like a free kick from Alvarez or it's like a couple of half chances they just mm. gobble up. Like, this is not the best version of City we've seen where they have 30 shots and 70% possession and they just destroy you 5-0. Like, this is a much more like Mourinho version. Wow. And no one likes that. And it, maybe it's just uh, Pep one step just, ahead of everyone. I think it's just because De Bruyne's... The Haaland drop-off has coincided with De Bruyne's injury. You know, mm-hmm. no one can make those passes to him. Um, and he is, for how good he is at goal scoring, he is pretty bang average at everything else. Or he was in this game. What? Haaland? Yeah, he doesn't turn up in the big games. It's an interesting one. He's Hold the ultimate flat-track bully. Meh. He's the ultimate flat-track bully, mate. He is. He is. And I think he really struggled about his partner in crime, KDB. And I think yeah. he took advantage of that. And I think teams need to take advantage of that. He can be nullified if he's not getting the service. And no one was really playing him any balls, in all fairness to him. And it was just, it was a cagey game. There wasn't a lot of chances, you know? There really wasn't a lot of clear-cut chances at all. Even Martinelli's winner, you couldn't really argue that that was a clear-cut chance because it was a deflection. It would have gone straight into Edison's hands had it not gone off mm-hmm. Ake's head, which yeah. was really unfortunate. I do want to Funny talk one. about the biggest controversial point. It would be good to get your opinion because I certainly have mine. Kovacic with two... Get, get him out of there. It's that was actually scandalous. I can't believe they didn't give a second yellow. <laughs> you just know that they didn't want to ruin the game after last week, but it's like there's no consistency. It was a second yellow. Ruin it. Ruin the game. That is that is what happens. My feeling now is that everything's a red card with studs. After the Tottenham game, I was still upset. Well, Any studs up challenge is a red. I wasn't in on. the red card camp for the first one. I, was I like, feel like it was not, orange. Could have been a red. Naughty, it was. It, it was malicious. Yeah. It was more malicious than Curtis Jones, for example. It looks better. But it was more malicious. There's more intent. Absolutely. Like he's really gone for it. And there was no way he was going to win the ball from that angle. So he was definitely going. But he's shot. gone through the back of Odegaard, which is a red, and it was high with his studs, and it was, it was high. high. He had all the hallmarks of a classic red card on FIFA, and yet somehow it's a yellow. But fuck me. How on earth has he got away with the second one where he's basically just chopped someone? It's a yellow one day long. I think Michael Oliver's thought, all right, Rice is trying to get him sent off. There wasn't a lot of contact. But on replay, it's basically the same challenge. Like, clear studs on yeah. it's, it's the second yellow. He was a very lucky boy. And I would have been fuming if we hadn't have won the game. And that would have been the main talking point. Because we would have, again, gone to the, the whole referee debacle, right? We would have just been complaining yeah. about the refs again. 100%. So, I'm glad we're in agreement there. Okay, well, look, before we move he on... He should have been banned, and you should have won that game more comfortably. Even though you've got the win that you deserved, he should have still arguably, been off. if they did get sent off, Man City would have gone into a low block, and it would have probably petered out to a nil-nil. Mm. So it's hard to say for sure. Sometimes a red card ruins the games for both teams. Um, but certainly... Certainly, I would be pissed off if it hadn't been a win for Arsenal. And you know what? For 85 minutes, it looked like it wasn't going to be. I do want to talk about right. 
Did I'm going to need you to monologue for one sec because this is live. I need to let my partner in quickly. Sorry, everyone. Huge monologue. Just do your thing. It's just poor planning, but usually it's me. So I'm just going to monologue. Um, what I'm saying is I'd like to talk about the subs that we brought in about the 70th minute. We brought on Kai Havertz, Tomoyasu. Fucking hell, who was the next one? Thomas Partey. Martinelli. No, no Martinelli came on at half-time for Trossard. I'm talking about the late ah. subs. Now you yeah, I'm curious about Tomiyasu. Sorry, mate, I was trying to monologue. Why don't you just shut up? So you wouldn't put <laughs> you wouldn't put those three subs in any sort of bracket. But to the eagle-eyed watcher of this game, you will have noticed mm-hmm. that all three were involved in the build-up to Martinelli's goal. And what's interesting is that I think this was intentional. Arteta has obviously said to Tomiyasu, "Just make a run." Right? Because if you watch it, Tommy actually breaks away from Foden on the left-hand channel. And he makes a run mm-hmm. into the box. Now, Foden's probably thinking he's had Zinchenko inverted in the whole game. So, you know, he, he let him pass. Partey is waiting for Tommy Asu to make that run and launches a box from the centre of the park. A box? A ball. Now, Tommy Asu is clear because Foden's let him run. The defenders until now are preoccupied with Havertz in the box. No one's marking Tommy Asu. So Tommy Asu heads it to Havertz. Who then lays it off for Martinelli's winner? Is that manage- managerial masterclass or is that luck? I don't know. I think for me, the fact that Partey was waiting for Tommy Asu to make that run before launching the ball and means that it was intentional. Um, so it was really smart, you know, for the whole game. We maybe played mm-hmm. into their hands and that one moment, you know, to break away. And sure, it was very, very fortunate to get the to get the winner like that. But you don't care how it goes in. You don't care. If it was worked on the training ground, then it's not lucky at all. You've played specifically for it. I found it all a bit confusing because I didn't understand where Tommy Asu was playing for large parts of the game. Um, I got suspicious that what may have happened is the old, it's like a throwback to like 90s football where you're like, right, just send the big man, just put him up top. Just, it doesn't really matter what his role is necessarily. He's just there. He's an unaccounted for anomaly to just cause chaos amongst the Man City centre backs and have. Martinelli and everyone just buzzing around him and just see what happens. I mean, for the goal, like, certainly. Launch yeah. it to the big man and see what happens, and it works. Yeah, I mean, he's actually fabulous, fabulous sub to have Tommy Asu because he can play across all the back four. He's comfortable as mm-hmm. a left back. He's really, really solid on his day. And when he first first started last, last year, he was really strong and he went for a bit of a dip. So it's nice to see him returning to some sort of form. Anyway, time moves upon us. Last question. Is this the start of a real title race or are City just gearing up for a strong January, February, March de- demolition job? I would like it to be. Um, but if we go through the teams, I think Tottenham will naturally drop off at some point because this is the best start they've ever had to a Premier League season. Mm-hmm. And people will remember they were also top last season and that didn't end very well. So there is precedent for this. Liverpool got real problems at the back still. We can see the first goal every game, so I'm still worried about us as a serious contender. So it's, I'd say it's still between Arsenal and City, and I think Arsenal got better in the summer. City got maybe slightly worse. So I would say maybe just the same title race as before with City winning because that's what they do. But mm. I wouldn't, I'm not expecting it to be four-way, but I'm happy to be proved wrong. But I think it's just still the two favourites like before. Yeah, I mean, Spurs will come on to Spurs. You can't underplay what Spurs are doing. But I almost feel like Spurs are doing what Arsenal did last year, which is getting a bit too gassed a bit too early. Um, mm-hmm. That may go against them. Can they keep it up? We shall see. But as we move on, Burnley 1, Chelsea 4, at Turf Moor, 
Now this was funny because I was I was I went to Ashford International on the weekend to get some bargain clothes for work, and I was following this on the way there. And lo and behold, one nil Burnley. They went ahead. Everything was just brilliant. Man United were down. I know. Chelsea were down. It was just just fantastic. And then I did some shopping, and I come back to look at it. And Chelsea three went up. And I was shocked. But then I was shocked at how shocked I was because you shouldn't be shocked that Chelsea three went up against a relegation candidate. But then it just it throws this whole thing into. I don't know. It's like suspended belief, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Just can't. Just can't figure out Chelsea at the moment. But this could be the again. And we thought this after they after they thumped Luton. <laughs> what another turning point? Just a circle, basically. Their turning point is just going in a circle, yeah, tricking you into thinking lost, they're going to be good. Imagine they lost one nil to Burnley and go into the international break, and then they've got their yeah. absolutely horrific run of games. Oh God, it's, you you don't even want to think about it if you're a Chelsea fan. So I mean, it is a think- massive win for them. Make no they needed this win. Back-to-back victories for Chelsea for the first time since March. That's nice for them. But Hugh is right. Post-international break, it is bad. Their run of fixtures is bad. If Burnley have had all the bad fixtures up until now, Chelsea are about to get a lot of them. A lot of tough games. So a very timely confidence-boosting win. And my main takeaway from this game was I think I finally saw what the Chelsea midfield could be. Because you've got Caicedo, best game so far for Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Um, just not back to his best, but you can see why he's there. You can mm-hmm. see why they spent too much money on him. Like, he was playing very, very close to the halfway line the entire time. Sometimes just deep into the Burnley half and just like chopping any sort of counter-attack that came. Enzo's just there pulling the strings. Then Gallagher is just, he's just, you know his role. He is the workhorse. And so you've got like Silk and Enzo, Steel and Caicedo, and then just energy in Gallagher. And I was like, I get it now. I am finally seeing the the madness. I'm seeing the vision. And it all all came together here. Because, yeah, for most of the game, basically, all of the teams were just in Burnley's half. It was so compressed. And Burnley just couldn't get out. They couldn't get the ball. They couldn't get out. And Chelsea just wore them down time and time again with all their crazy players on top. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so it's very like high press, very like Pochettino, high press, lots of energy, and yeah, pretty clinical actually overall. Yeah, some great goals. Palmer got his first Premier League goal as well. I know it's from the spot, but they are shaping they up. They're an exciting little mm-hmm. team, aren't they? You know, Amen. Yeah, I think on the Burnley side. It's not looking good for Burnley, I'd say. They made four changes and they were they were bad. They conceded four goals. So looking good for Burnley. That's not good. And more importantly, it's not he looking has... good for company at this point. Nah. They have had really hard fixtures, though. You look at all their home fixtures and it's like Chelsea, Newcastle, Man City, Arsenal, and like, I don't know, Tottenham or something. It was, it was a joke. It was a lot. So if they haven't got a win in the next three or four games, then I think he's probably going to go. But you would assume that there's an understanding that all of these games were no point games, realistically, when you sort of yeah. mark out the calendar. I think these the are sort of free is, hits. What's different about company 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 situation compared to say um was it Gareth Edwards or Rob Edwards at Luton? I think it's Rob Edwards at Luton. Rob Edwards at Luton. Hecking bottom Hecking bottom is that if you compare the investment over the summer for Burnley versus the other two, 
it's massive. Like they've backed mm-hmm. company to succeed. So I think that's the only thing working against him. I agree. It'd be quite harsh to, to fire him based off his current run, despite the results. But you can understand why. You know, you get a bit jumpy as an owner when you see your team. Oh, yeah. And you've sunk hundreds of millions of pounds into a new squad. You'd expect a bit more regardless. You? Yeah. And I think the risk is that morale from dominating the championship and coming up and really, you know, having a good feeling about the season has now really like bottomed out going into the international break. All that momentum is gone. Mm. They have to build that from fresh. And so the easier games they're coming into with their heads down and that's always a risk that they just don't play as well as they can and then they don't get the results they want and it becomes a horrible spiral. Um, and yeah, at that point, they're probably they're probably in big trouble. But I still back them to do well and get a win before October's out. I think they'll be fine. Let's see. Now, back to Chelsea before we move on. I want to earmark mm. the next run of games until mid-December. And I want you to kind of talk yeah. up how many points realistically you think they'll get. Mm-hmm. Right. Chelsea versus Arsenal is next up after the international break. Then Chelsea... Zero points. Zero. Then Chelsea versus Brentford. One point. Okay. Then we move on to Tottenham versus Chelsea. Zero points. Stay on one. Okay. And then we've got Chelsea versus Manchester City. Definitely zero points and a minus five goal difference. Okay. And then we've got Newcastle versus Chelsea. (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, Yeah. Do you know what? Fuck it. Midweek, midweek fixtures for Newcastle. They're getting to a a draw. Two points now. Okay. Next one, Chelsea versus Brighton. It's a little bit of a dark. Can only be a loss for Chelsea. It's got to be a loss. Can only be a loss for Chelsea. Brighton will be up for that game every time. And then to round off this beautiful run of fixtures, and you versus Chelsea. We always draw, so three points in total. Cool. So a solid three points from seven games. Oh, I hope you're right. (laughs) It's bad, isn't it? (laughs) That is bad. So that would leave them averaging. 14 points from 15 games, so less than a point a game if that prediction holds true, which would be stellar stuff yet again. Right, Chelsea fans, stick that in your pipe and smoke it. I can't wait to see how it plays out for you lot. Anyway, on to Brighton. On to Brighton? I wasn't meant to say that, but it is Brighton. Brighton 2, Liverpool 2. Good game, first and foremost. Yeah, good game. was fun. I was watching it in Angel Oak, but I was sitting outside, so without my glasses, I could barely fucking make out what was going on. But from what I saw, Brighton were dominating us for a long time. Oh, shock. Liverpool started slowly. Oh, my God. We made a stupid mistake to concede the first goal. Rinse, copy, repeat. That was a Cut that stupid, bit for next, stupid next match. Mistake, although I think Alisson could have done better, to be honest. Yeah. It looked like Alisson could do better. If that was a Nana, oh Nana, there'd be a lot of memes about it. So he can probably take take the L there. But again, VVD just hospital passing to McAllister. McAllister not being awake to receive it. There's a lot of mitigation that could have happened to just not do that. There's not really any value in passing to McAllister at that point. But he loves Brighton. In his soul, he just wanted it for some just reason. Got he got confused. Robbed it. by Dingra, who had a great game, by the way. And just Addison's just slow motion. He did. He's just like, oh, he scored. The fuck? He scored. Yeah. It was weird. It was weirdly gentle. But yeah, Brighton were good overall. 
I think they probably shaded it. I, probably, I think they probably deserve to win, but a draw is not unfair. Most Inevitable. Two goals, mate. He does. He does what Inevitable. he does. He's actually doing bits yeah. this season. Five goals, four assists already. Um, yeah, I thought the first goal was nice. Like, good pressing, good possession. You can see the link-up play between Darwin Nunes and Salah is developing. Because Nunes has got five assists this season, and they're all for Salah, which is interesting. So he doesn't seem to want to feed Diaz or Jota or anyone else, but he does like feeding Salah. Know, it's probably a bit slow, so, isn't it? Because Salah can always score. And it was a lovely goal. I mean, the lead from Harvey Elliott really made true. it. True. the assist, in all fairness. Um, yeah. most Salah's son was right was. to leave it. You could see little chest bump. Yeah. He was like, well, yeah, no respect worries. Salah's like, I love scoring, so thank you for letting me score. Yeah, get out of my way. Let me score. He, he loves, loves goals. And yeah, penalty, I was a bit stressed because his record is a bit patchy, but he scored two in a row now, so I can just slowly pretend that he didn't miss about three in a row last Why season. Why mind? It's a new season, season. Mo's back to his best as Mojo is back, well and truly. But my big shout out, my man of the match in this game, the AR. <laughs> I think it's fair to say that we've got a bit of credit in the bank now because VAR came to our rescue. Penalty came in, was like, yes, that's a penalty. I was like, thanks, thanks. Could have easily just been, just brushed aside. Probably could have been a red card, realistically, VAR, for being honest. Last man and all that. But, you know, things can't be choosers. Matoma had a pretty innocuous period where he was so quick that he went around Matip, but Matip definitely had fouled him. And Matoma's been penalised for being too good and riding the foul. And then it's hit Van Dyke's arm after it bounced off his thigh. So it's a collection of things that, that could have... It wasn't a red, that wasn't a pen. It was like point blank range, you know? Like, let's let's get some sensibility back into this. Listen, mate, after last weekend, I'm not feeling good about VAR, so I was like, thank you, VAR. VAR being neutral felt like a, a VAR win for me. Well, I mean, I had a stinker it. in our game as well, right? So it's not fixed. You know what um, Don Robbie from AFTV said, which made me laugh, but he's also right. Let me try and articulate it the way he did. He said, it shouldn't be referees doing VAR. It should be the nerds who do that as a job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's facts, though. He's absolutely right. Let's get people who like do that as their day-to-day. Like their only job yeah. is to do the VAR lines. Do you know what I mean? Like, let's not just put incompetent I, I, refs yeah. who, you know, have had like two weeks training to do it. Let's also, Robbie is spot on though, genuinely, because you think about that point, right? Everyone, just think about your workplace, right? Think, think about, about some 40 year old bloke yeah. who comes in in yeah. baggy shirts. You know what I mean? He works in sales, whatever, you know, got a good chat. And then suddenly you put him in tech support. You give him two weeks training and then he's in tech support. He's not very good at his job. He doesn't, he doesn't know what Google is. He doesn't know how to use the Google. <laughs> the Google. Like, it's, not, it's not a thing. Don't just assume the people who run around the pitch and apply the rules can operate technology. Because they can't. And they vice can't. versa. Yeah. And that's it's the thing. Like, just get nerds in. Get the nerds. It is human error because the technology wasn't broken. It just wasn't administered correctly. It's just, that's even more infuriating yeah. than anything else. But anyway, we move on because I want to fit one more game in before the break. West Ham 2, Newcastle 2, yeah. a thriller in East London, Stratford. Exciting. It was a good result for West Ham, I thought. 
And like, arguably were hard done by, right? There were some controversial yeah. decisions in this one. Yeah, I think so. I think overall, you know, equalising in the 89th minute means that they will feel the better of the two. But if you break down the actual game, in the same way that Kovacic did two yellow card challenges close to each other, Gimrash did the same. He got a yellow card. That and then he did such a, a cynical foul. It was a red Prowse. card. I don't know how like, not given, man. That was a red card. That was a Fernandinho special where he somehow managed to get away with a blatant yellow card to stop a counter-attack. So I respect it, Brazilian to Brazilian. He's obviously learned from the best, but it was definitely not legit. No, I agree. I mean, if that's not a second yellow, then I just don't know what is. I almost feel like the PGMOL are just so scared to make a decisive decision like that that could affect the game. But then it's bollocks, because if you look at the Luton-Tottenham game, which we get onto, it's, it's just no consistency, bro. There's no yeah. consistency. And this is why it's so annoying, because you hate the decisions because they're like, everything's a red card, everyone's penalised. And then when it's time to penalise everyone, they only penalise half of them. So you get this discrepancy, and then everyone gets annoyed. So then they get scared, so they don't do it. And it's just like, it's just like you know a what I found out bad weekend. decisions. They can't win it. VAR can't get involved in the second yellow card decisions, which just seems like the most ridiculous, pointless. Just like, okay. What? what? (laughs) If it's a straight red, they can review, but they can't review the second yellow. Come on, dude. Who's making the rules here? That is. I'm sure someone out there can provide some sort of logic why that has to be the way, but it just just boggles the mind sometimes. It's like there's no common sense being applied or anything. It's like. It's like we're dealing with like an insurance company and they're like, oh, I can't help you with that. Sorry. Can't help you with that either. That's not covered under well, your policy. It's exactly that. Weird. It's like just a random policy that they just decided they don't want to help with. It's just crazy. I mean, nothing will be. Yeah. The, yeah. The not my job. The not my job. One. That will go down in history. I'm so glad they really saw it. That's hilarious. I mean. That'll be the moment the VAR either died or got radical changes. That was the real pinnacle moment. Turns out I got neither. Let's talk about Isaac. I agree. He's brilliant, isn't he? He's fantastic. He's so good. He's excellent. We all knew it, though. We all knew it. I don't know why no one else tried to buy him before. Everyone knew he was good. Okay, I can only say this so many times. Buy Jonathan David. Everyone who's listening, just buy Jonathan David. Don't overthink it. Just buy him. You'll be sorted for life. Isaac's the same kind of guy. He's like 22, 23, and he's just good. He's not just a poacher. He's not just like a normal forward like Callum Wilson. He's like creative. He's tricky. He's he's mm. all of the above, and he is. He's just got it. He's got that that thing, whatever that is. He's got it, and he's special. And that's Newcastle sorted. Best striker since Alan Shearer to play for Newcastle, and that's them sorted for like the next five years. I at agree. least. Now let's talk about on the other end. Mohamed Kudos got the 89th minute equaliser for West Ham. It's arguable to say that maybe, and it wasn't a game of many chances, but you feel like Newcastle edged it or certainly dominated it. But then also, West Ham are the masters of the David Moisey smash and grab. So, I mean, who do you think? Do you think 2 is a fair outcome on this one? I don't know if 2 is a fair outcome, but I think games like these are weird because both managers can play the way they want and play the way that suits their mm. team the best, in that West Ham can just chill and counter-attack and try and hit them on the break. And Newcastle can just dominate and try and build up you know, more pro- progressively. 
So in some ways, I think it's fair. I also would say that I think Kudus coming on and having at least double the amount of energy of everyone else after their midweek adventures for both clubs, that just gave him a little bit of an advantage to sort of break through the middle and just score. Like he just outpaced everybody mm. easily within that sort of central, yeah, central, like, I don't know, attacking mid area. So I think he was the perfect person to bring on to take advantage of those tired legs. But yeah, that's how you make a debut, baby. That's how you do it. And everyone knew he was good. He, does and he good. looks good. He looks like what they need up front. Certainly not someone like Skamaka. Uh, I quite like West Ham squad, say it quietly. I think... I said Moisey was going to first to get fired. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I'm eating my, I'm eating my shoes. That's not saying we didn't do uh, well in that category. Who did you go? Did not do well. I said it'll be Ange. <laughs> so Foster <laughs> Cogley. <laughs> Why do we even do this? So, we don't know anything. I can't believe you said Ange and they're top. <laughs> God, yeah, I know. It's so fucking dumb. I actually know nothing about football. I know nothing. I'm a fraud. Any ball with Sheffield and Leeds but... it's an obvious one. <laughs> I don't know why either of us would not choose someone whose yeah. name is Hickenbottom. We play for anything. manager. When has that man ever succeeded Negative. in the Prem? Let me tell you, never. So, literally. Lessons learned. Right, we're taking a break. When we're back, we're going to cover the rest of the games. Welcome back to From the Backseat Football Podcast. So next game, Manchester United 2, Brentford 1. I feel like everyone was disappointed watching this. Everyone apart from Scott McTominay and the rest of Old Trafford. Because this was looking like it was going to be maybe not the final nail, but maybe the second to last nail in the coffin for Eric Ten Hag. But come off the hour, mate. It's just enjoyable, again. It's just so enjoyable watching Man United suffer. I guess Mm -hmm. this is how they felt watching Arsenal suffer for all these years. Now I'm on the other side of it. I understand the appeal. Like When you're doing relatively well and someone like your historic rivals just doing absolutely turgid, it it makes your weekends even better. Yeah. It's that wonderful, wonderful, wonderful German word. Was it Schnaldenfraud? Schnaldenfraud? Schnaldenfraud. To truly delight in the misery of others. And that is a real, it's a real part of supporting a football team, really. Mm-hmm. Just enjoying your rivals just scrambling around in the mud. Um, and honestly, does this actually change anything? Does this change the mood? Maybe temporarily, but I feel like it's just masking over the cracks. I don't feel like this is a good win no, for Manchester United. I don't think it like changes it was, anything. Uh, doesn't feel like it was a turnaround of performance per se. It feels nah, like it, they pulled something out of the bag and, and in stoppage time. Exactly. That's exactly what happened. Right? Exactly. It was just another like emergency correction to stop another disaster. It's not it's not a controlled performance, it's not a good performance, it's just Scott McTominay scoring two goals deep into extra time. Which no one's all coming. I mean he is on a goal scoring run, to be fair. Mm-hmm. It's weird to think that they were trying to get... Well, it's not weird to think because he's actually not that good. But they were trying to get rid of Scott and somebody, weren't they? They were. They were. But of course, he's on He's on pretty good money. And Manchester United are not good at selling players. Like, 
if if in another segment we go through all the players that they've sold, they very rarely get a good price because they always renew their contracts and then just let them run it down because no one wants to buy them. It's better to take 10 mil and save 10 mil on wages than try and get 40 mil and just pay them another 10 mil for a year and then let them go. Like it's, it's odd. It's an odd way of doing it. I think they were well, trying to charge like 45 for West Ham. The thing with Man United is you need the players that you want to sell to be informed. Arsenal are terrible sellers too. Yeah. Mm. But we sold Balogun for 40 mil, right? Is he any good? We'll never know. He was shit for us. But he had a good season. That's the right time to sell. Yeah. Facts. And so it's all about selling at the right time. And they should... I think Harry Maguire didn't want to go in the summer. And I guess, as you say, Tommy's the same. Then that's their fault for having them on exorbitant, exorbitant wages, right? Yes. Yeah. It's a hard one. As a top four club, it's hard to sell well. And at Envy Clubs, that manage it, to be honest with you. To know at the right time when to sell. It is a difficult one. You feel like... The tendency is always just to hold on too long because selling someone after they've had a good season feels like inviting unnecessary fan pressure, inviting unnecessary media scrutiny. But it's having the confidence to do it. Um, and Liverpool have lost the ability to do that since Michael Edwards left. We used to be really good at moving people on at the right moment and bringing people in. Like, kept Henderson like two years too long. Virgil van Dijk, arguably. We might have kept him too long already, realistically. He doesn't look that good anymore. Mm. So it's a tough one. It's a very tough one. Um, one player that Man United could be looking to get rid of soon, Casemiro. He looks yes. rubbish. I was going to ask you, hooks at half time? Is this mm. the beginning of the end? It does feel like it's more than just a drop and fall. Well, I think the infamous meme of him as a kebab worker in the summer has kind of come true. Like, he just he just looks... He just looks off it. Like, he looks lazy. Bit out, bit out of shape still. And I just think... He was a short-term panic buy, and he was unexpectedly good last season. And this is just uh, the normal... The normal sort of decline that you'd expect. What I will say also, Real Madrid on no mugs. If they sell someone, it's because they're probably... They're probably done. So the right, fact who, that Real Madrid got Chouameni to replace him, who was on the up, and they got rid. They basically just switched them. They took that money from Casemiro and put yeah, it but we shouldn't look at Madrid too much. Like, they have the clout, so they can just cherry-pick the best youngsters, and they've been doing that for a number of years now. But like you say, oh, it's a warning, right? But then they sold Odegaard to Arsenal for 35 mil. So mm, different profile. That's true. Really. But uh, it is surprising to see the drop-off. Beyond Casemiro, Anana was poor again, again, again. He's just not yeah. a good goalkeeper, is he? Doesn't seem to be very good at being a goalkeeper. He is I good like at being a meme. personality, though. Yeah. He needs to back it up with a performance sooner or later. Like, I like his one, attitude, but it is a bit crazy. Like, they it is mad. So that, goals. Yeah, like they had a lot of problems last year, and David De Gea was apparently a problem. But now it seems like they've created an even bigger problem in a goalie who just can't really save stuff properly. Because like that goal from Jensen was very savable. He got a hand to it. A strong hand. Very but still went in. A strong Odd. wrist would have saved that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But then we shouldn't be too half glass empty because they did win. And now they're going to international break on a win. It's not the best win, but a win's a win at the end of the day. It gives, it gives Ten Hag some more time. 
and you know, it does keeps the fans at bay for a bit. Before we move on, though, we should mention Rashford. What's happened to him? I reckon it's the contract. It's definitely the contract. He was playing for the contract. He got the contract. He's always been streaky, though. And his streaks are like yes. good four months every like year and a half to two years. They're not like streaks only within the one season. Goal. One goal yeah. in a game so far. Not good enough. Yeah. Maybe they should have tried to sell him to PSG in the summer. Just saying. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. It really it is. It is indeed. It is indeed. Right. I don't know what's up with him. He's bad. Sancho's Sancho's gone. Sancho's done. Anthony's got his old fucking domestic abuse allegations. It's just a mess. It's just a mess. (laughs) There's so many injuries, to be fair, as well. That's on the outside as well. Imagine how it must feel inside the dressing room. I bet there's so many factions. People on Ten Hag's side, most people on Sancho's side. You know, that's the that you don't see. And it's just so true. Scream harmonious at the moment. And I'm sure it is affecting players. It would certainly affect me. If I was in a sort of team like that, hundred percent. You think about going to work and you know it's like really negative and toxic, and the whole world's like looking and laughing at you. I wouldn't want to go in. I wouldn't want to like turn up. My head would be all over the place. I think too much noise goes on around that club. And our backline was just it comes dirty. With, they're just like a like a reality version of, of Madrid, is my opinion. Like they have the clout to United, but they're just trashing mm. at the moment. You know, I see what you mean. It's just not it. But anyway, times of the essence. Everton free. Bournemouth nil. Bournemouth are crap. Like Bournemouth, Bournemouth are really, are terrible. really crap, aren't they? They're just really bad. I don't even want to give Everton too much praise because clearly Bournemouth aren't up to it this season. I'm not going to lie. Bournemouth were shocking in this game. Like they made so many mistakes at the back, including the first goal. Gone are just just picked up the ball after one of the defenders slipped over and just smashed it in. But they kept doing it. Like, so mm. many mistakes, so many bad performances, so many instances of playing out from the back, like, very badly. Very Extremely badly. poorly. And I just think it's getting to a point where you have to wonder what was the point of getting rid of Gary O'Neill because Bournemouth looks so bad at defending and also toothless up front. And at least under Gary Neal, they were hard to beat and awkward to play against. They weren't good, but they weren't shit like they are now. They have got way worse. And mm. I feel like we all got tricked and the manager is done. He's actually not. He's actually, he's done. He could be done. He getting should battered be done. by Everton should be just, enough for anyone to get It doesn't make any sacked. sense why you would get rid of Gary O'Neill for a guy... I mean, okay, look, no one could have known how it was going to turn out, but I guarantee they would be performing better under Gary O'Neill than they were under this geezer. Do you know what I mean? But they can't, they can't do any worse, mate. They can't Three do points. Three points, minus 13 goal difference. They're getting thumped every weekend. and no, It's yeah. just hard to see where their points are going to come from. Whereas they were kind no. of a, a stubborn, resilient side under Gary last year. Well, that's the do thing. You know I mean? Like, Everton were on four points before this game. They're only one point ahead of them. This was a game where they had to compete and they got absolutely turned over. Turned over by Everton, of all people. Let's talk about Everton. Everton. Let's not take it away. It's a good win, but it's hard when your performance just get turned over like that and just give up, right? It's a masterclass from from the tactician. Don't let his bald head fool you. He's just a ginger Guardiola. (laughs) What I will say is they did play well in this game. They, They were really aggressive again. They seemed to sometimes want to turn up and play aggressive and play well. Hashtag they wanted it more. 
But the main reason that they won was because Jack Harrison played and he made his debut and he scored a great goal um, from like a corner that got headed out and he just picked it up and just sort of crossed it in, just lobbed everyone, just hit it in. It was lovely. Mm, and then he got an assist for the, for the third goal as well. You just think like he's on loan from Leeds. He's a pretty solid bottom half of the table performer, but he he's has outplayed. He was decent. Yeah. He made things happen. And with least. him, James Garner, uh, DCL, and is there anyone else? Dwight O'Neill. I feel like there's something there no, that now. That better fellow up front looks all right. He looks he's right. just a solid, solid, non-scoring battering ram guy. He's mm. just a Benteke guy. Love but that. he, as opposed to no one, he's he's decent. As opposed to playing the ghost, the what's his name? Who's that fucking guy who can't score any goals no matter what? Got Malpo. Yeah, and as opposed to playing literally him and no one, at least Beto's got a bit of physical presence about him. But yeah, Everton, mate, they're slowly getting it together. Oh, I just they'll kill your hopes, right? Next game they'll lose like three 0 to Burnley or something and you just be like mm, I don't know. it's hard to say anything when Bournemouth are this bad but I won't miss Bournemouth to be honest with you <laughs> I'm sick of Bournemouth myself nah they're they're just too they're not Premier League enough and they've got a picture of a topless man in their stadium still on the inside of one of the stands and I don't like that you know what that's a, not that's for any a, particular reason I'm just it's, it's a valid reason not to just, like him just like grow up like you got promoted a long time ago like just get just fix it now. Just stop. Yeah. Just stop. It's unnecessary. Speaking anyway. of people needing to grow up, Luton nil, Tottenham one, Basuma, what are you doing, lads? What are you what doing? A dumb Imagine dumb. getting a second red for simulation. You absolute <laughs> penis. What are you doing? <laughs> what a silly, silly it, boy he is. It is. It is just terrible, isn't it? It was a terrible dive as well. I mean, he deserved it. For yeah, it was. You know, at least try and, and make it convincing. I'm glad they got it right, though, right? Because if he didn't give a yellow card, they can't do anything about it because it was a second yellow. Mental. Facts. Mental. Facts. Mental. I really enjoyed it. I was watching it. I was watching it back on Match of the Day. And, like, this is what I love about English football, right? You can punch someone in the face. You can break someone's leg. You can, like, you can say anything you want. As soon as someone dives, the commentators are just fuming oh. like uncontrollably like frothing at the mouth simulations are so much taboo, isn't it you know it's so yeah. frowned upon in like, football in other countries it's no problem but yeah like to, to to paraphrase it's just fucking the commentators going shameful a real walk of shame back to the tunnel shameful <laughs> it's just so good <laughs> like he's so annoyed he's so vexed about it and uh, yeah that made me laugh yeah that is quality to be fair and it's annoying because Tottenham, although they had like almost 1.3 XG within 10 minutes or something stupid, um, and they couldn't do it. And you felt like Luton were going to nick something off them here. And as an Arsenal fan, I might be slightly biased. I would love to have seen Tottenham slip up to the bottom side, Luton, certainly. 100%. But no, these jammy bastards have done it again and got themselves three yeah. points from a situation where they really shouldn't have and that's very upsetting for me when will the luck run out and will it run out well I think again it's all about James Madison like he created the girl he created all the chances James Madison Duh. I'm sick of <laughs> I'm sick of him already he's he's good he is good he is he's good. one of the highest performing players this season jokes aside he is he's very got, very good 
he's basically carrying Spurs forward. He's the talisman. Maybe more than Son. Oh, I would easily. argue. More than anyone. Easily. He is, he is the guy. He is the guy now. He's Mr. Tottenham. He did it again Ugh, in this game. Mr. Tottenham. Ooh, disgusting. I know. But they still have Richarlison, Hugh, and I think until they replace Richarlison, yeah, there's no freaking good. The until they get a, a centre forward that can score, it's game over. Like, mm, you do facts. worry, but then also, you know, Big Ange, new team, people trying to figure him out. Can they sustain it? I don't think they can sustain it. No. But that's just me being a pessimist. No, they definitely can't. They definitely can't. But, because you look at some of their wins, there was that, they scraped a win against Sheffield United. They scraped a win against Liverpool in the die second. Scraped a draw. They scraped a win here. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Like, these are all games that could have all ended with no wins. Three draws and a loss, for example. And then it would be very different. It would be very different. But the fact like is, it wasn't. But you can't keep yeah. winning games in the last minute like that. It's not sustainable. Exactly. Arsenal found out last year. So, yeah. yeah. They should drop off. But their squad, weirdly, looks really good. Randa Ven's a great centre-back. The midfield, obviously, Basuma's had a shocker in this one. But the Saar Basuma midfield, I really like, with Madison at the top. Yes, mm-hmm. they could replace Richarlison. But Kulu, Sun... Charles, it's not bad, front three. Um, Poro's looking nah, good. it's not bad. Udigi at left back looks brilliant. It's, it's actually... He looks, he looks very good. A really good young team. I'd like to give us a bit of credit, Hugh, though. I'd like to just say to everyone listening, we were right. All last season on the pod, we said one thing about Tottenham. Why is Eric Dyer still playing? He's rubbish. And lo and behold, Eric Dyer doesn't play for Tottenham anymore and they're top of the league. Is that coincidence? It's not. I think not. It is not coincidence. He is rubbish and he should never play Premier League football I again. I he existed. Goodbye. Yeah. And look how good they are now. There's someone you've never heard of, Van der Ven. Mm. He looks like the best defender in the world in comparison. Yeah, he's really good. Do you want to know a fun fact before we move on about, about Tottenham? Would love to. Did you know that Hugo Lloris is still employed by them? <laughs> You know, I thought he left him on three. I did not know that. Yeah, he's still there, but he's not registered. Is he on like a rolling Absolute contract? Chaos. That's so no weird. No one knows what's happened there. A very acrimonious and inglorious way to go out. That's so strange. Spurs, but... Well, so he's just like the Scott Carson of Tottenham now. Just the hype man. It's just there. Scott Carson's registered. Oh. He, can, he can't play. What? He can't play. He's not registered. He's not in the squad. But he's still at Tottenham. Yeah, I know. That's exactly how I thought. Absolutely. That's so weird. And so disrespectful to your club captain. <laughs> oh my, my God. My club would never. But anyway, Fulham free, <laughs> Sheffield won. I'll be honest, didn't watch it. Go on, Jack, film me in. Well, what I will say is two teams with the least amount of shots this season. So whoever lost is truly the worst team in the league. And that's Sheffield United. We knew that. We did know that. And I feel like Fulham, who have scored basically no goals, I think they've got one win this season, maybe, score three goals when they have two strikers who score no goals. They have just a pretty average team and they're in bad form and they still bang you. It could be 5-1 this game. They had so many chances. They were so dominant. You just think like Deckard over Reed, Willian, not very good, I don't think. And they just destroyed Sheffield United. Sheffield United are so bad. So bad. Like, 
as bad as we said Bournemouth as bad as we say Luton are, Sheffield United are a level below, in my opinion. They are so bad. They are going down with like less than 15 points. They are so shit. They have no defence. They have no attack. Their best player, Chris Basham, got stretched off. Probably that's the end of his career. So sad for him. But like... End of the day, this is such an easy game. I would say, I would argue that if you can't beat Sheffield United this season, you don't deserve to have a good season. They're that fast. We did say last year... Sheffield United at home is so easy. Are Fulham good? Or are they just exceeding every metric and having one of those seasons? It turns out it's probably the latter, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were they were having I a good time. I suppose actually, Mitrovic is a big loss, right? And they they didn't really loss. replace him. They didn't bring that Carlos Vinicius in, who was online at Tottenham that one time. He's rubbish. He's he is dog. terrible. He's proper dog. Yeah, yeah. And Rafa Menez is also terrible. Like neither of them are good anymore. No, it wow. always seemed like a budget kind of replacement. Carlos would never was. Um, and I get it. But. You know, you try and cut costs, and if you have the same output, then it's clever. You save it for another day, but. They really need to replace mm. Mitrovic with someone competent, and they haven't done that. So I don't think they're in trouble because I think there are worse teams than Fulham this year. But oh, no one's in trouble this season. Like Sheffield United are going down, Luton are going down, and Bournemouth are going down. Mm. Like that's it. I feel like it's written already. Yeah, definitely Sheffield United though. I would wager a large amount of money that they're going down, but there'd be no point because you get nothing no, back. Have a look. But what the odds are of Sheffield United going down? I reckon it's. I reckon if you put ten pounds on, you'd get eleven back. Okay, there. She's got to work out how odds work now. <laughs> I actually do. What does one to seven mean? So that means. I think that means if you put seven pounds on, you'd get eight pounds back if they got relegated. Okay, so all we need to do is put seven thousand pounds on, and we'll get a grand. Yeah. Let's not do that. And that's what a lot of people think. And then they lose the seven grand. Let's not do that. I see how this happens. Yeah. yeah I see how this happens. But in all seriousness, Sheffield are going down unless for some sort of miracle. But they miracles are have awful. happened before, but they don't look good. They look rubbish. This is the joint worst Premier League start to a season. They have one point. It's just minus really... 60 goal difference and one point. After eight games. Eight games. They're doing their best job. Extrapolate that. Extrapolate yeah. that over a season. It's fucking five points. Oh my god! What's the lowest ever? Is it Derby County's twelve or thirteen or eleven? Yeah, or eleven maybe. Twelve, yeah, maybe 11. twelve. So it should get beaten. Yeah. I think also the drop off compared to last season's relegation fight, like it's massive. Last season there was no obvious candidate; mm-hmm. it was just you know swings and roundabouts. Whereas this is like these guys are trash. But anyway. Mate, on to the final game because we're we're missing out one game because it was crap. <laughs> Wolves won. Yeah, nil nils. Villa in the bin. One West Midlands derby. So yeah. yeah, but you know the derby that no one cares about. It's a bit like Middlesbrough in the Sunderland Newcastle derby. It's just like no one cares about you, mate. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like no one really cares about this in the Midlands. Like, we'll call it a derby for. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. 1-1. One, one. It's actually a good result for Wolves, isn't it? Against the kind of really informed Villa side. Yeah. Although Villa did play on Thursday. And I wonder if that had anything to do with it. 
Yeah, I think so. Because actually a lot of the clubs that played midweek drew and didn't have a great time. And even the ones that did win, like Arsenal, the game was relatively, not turgid, but it wasn't like a high-intensity game. It was more like a tactical battle. So it does make sense. It does does take a toll. But yeah, good point for Wolves, who are... Where are they? They are 14th with eight points from eight games. Such a Wolves number of points. One point per game average... One goal per game average. They're just so binary. Everything they do just equals one. Gary O'Neill really has incredible. the blueprint. <laughs> and just applied it to Wolves. And he's grinding yeah. the results out. I have to give him credit. Like Wolves are going to be safe because of that man. Mm. 100%. This is what he does. Like His body of work is making teams okay and hard to play against. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. I think the only interesting thing in this game was... Villa switched to three at the back because Wolves have just switched back to the old Wolves who play three slash five at the back. So Villa switched up to three, five, two in this game. And what that told me was that Emery adjusts depending on the opponent a lot more. Some managers just play their game basically and they make little nuanced changes. But Emery will basically just, he will match up whatever he thinks is best to mitigate the risk. And I don't really think it worked, no, to be honest. Although, it. I think they were quite unlucky, Villa. Like, Watkins hit the post a few times. That's my guy. A few times, at least one time. But the main shout-out, Huang. Man like that's Huang. Korean guy. That Korean guy. Yeah, boy, that's going to stick that. He's on fire. He's on fire. Five goals in eight games in the Premier League this season. I've got, I've got a mm-hmm. quiz for you, Hugh. How many goals did Huang get last season in 27 games? Not many. Two? Very close. Three. Oh, I was close. I was well close. <laughs> Damn. He's not so, prolific, but he looks good. Well, he's prolific now, mm. currently. So it's an interesting one. He's on a hot streak, won't last. Wolves need someone to be on a hot streak at all times because they don't have an obvious route to goal who's not called Pedro Neto. And that will be a problem. Yeah. I mean, Wolves still on paper have quite an exciting team. I still hope Fabio Silva is going to come good in some sort of way, but it's not looking great at the moment, is it? Just looks like nah, Fabio he's not, Silva. He's just don't know what's going on there. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just weird. I think it's a curious case of just moving to the wrong club in the wrong league at the wrong time. Yeah. You know, like, Yao Felix moving to Atletico? Mm. It's like a much worse version of that. He's just gone to the wrong place. He should be in Portugal still, getting better, building up muscle, getting his confidence. Instead, he's just in the Midlands where it's miserable, just getting battered by, like, I don't know, Craig Dawson. Yeah, he went on week. loan, didn't he, to, I think it was Anderlecht. Didn't really see how he did, to be honest with you. He's had quite a few loans. It does feel like last chance saloon for him. Obviously not very well. Yeah. That was a that was a Jorge Mendes special there. Yeah, he was expensive as well. We already covered that last week. Right. There was also a Crystal Palace mm-hmm. in Nottingham nil, but fuck it, who cares? You don't care. We don't care. Any other business, mate, before exactly. we wrap it? Yes, fan mailbox. Got a, got a question from Christian, which I assume is for me. Why do you hate Ollie Watkins so much? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> That's a good question, Christian. And the answer is... He's got no reason. He's just racist. Twofold. 
<laughs> if only it was that simple to explain. If only I was just a raging Brexiteer. But no, I'm not racist. Um, it's weird to have to justify that on a public uh, <laughs> podcast. But <laughs> it'd be really awkward if someone just clips that up. And yes, I am racist. Um, why, do, why do I hate Ollie Watkins? Because he's average. Because he's average Christian and he gets too much praise for being average. But also, secondly, we reached out to his girlfriend or his wife at the start of season one and she didn't get back to us. And I never forgave. It's true. That. She did air us, but rightfully so. She's a wag now. She hasn't got time for that. Fair play. Or she could have been. She could have been a core component of From the Backseat. I mean, she was carrying his and child. That would have, but, you know. It's fine. Look, let me ask you. Right, in 116 Look, games, how many goals do you think he scored? This is Premier League only. Premier League only. Mm-hmm. 116 games. 38. 38. It's actually very close. 44. Is that a good or bad output for a Villa team? That isn't fantastic. Remember, there was under Dean Smith when he joined. Mm, one in three. It's not great. So he's worse than Jermaine Defoe would be my my initial thoughts there. Worse than Darren Bent. He's got a strike rate of it's 0.38. Average. There you go. Average, 0.38. But I think he's solid. He's young. He's English. It comes with a premium. And he can score goals from wherever. Yes, it's not pretty. He's not a pretty player. But he's functional, isn't he? That's why we like Ollie Watkins. Everyone just needs to calm down. He's average. He's just Darren Bent, but modern. Oh, Darren Bent is way more prolific. Let's not get that twisted. Okay, he's just a poor man, but more expensive Darren Bent. That's why I hate okay. him. Yeah. Thank you, Christian. That might be true. That might be true. Well, thank you for the question, Christian. It's great to have some fan mail. Um, do keep it coming in, guys. We're more than happy to answer questions, especially around Ollie Watkins and his fiance slash wife. So... I'd like to apologise personally for the poor quality nah. from my end recently. It's down to my internet. I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to apologise for me. It's down to the internet. I blame the internet. So the schedule's been a bit shit, but we're back. Hopefully this, you know what, this might even be really shit as well. So let's just not speak too soon. Just this might not see the light of day. Yeah. Just keep listening. We'll still be here week on week. We'll see you after the break. Or the international break, that is. And yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, and stay tuned on socials. You never know, there might be a bonus pod on something that tickles our fancy. But if not, we'll be back in two weeks. Thank you very much. Goodbye.